0: Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you, no matter where it is, uh, what time of day it is when you are hearing this message, and I trust that it will be a blessing to you as we begin the book of Ezra today. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's edition of Bible Bites. We have finished all the way through 2 Chronicles, and now we're beginning in Ezra. And so I just want to point out that uh, the end of 2 Chronicles leads us right into the beginning of the book of Ezra um the the jew the Jewish Bible has it set up separately, but the same books are there, but they actually end their Old Testament we would call it with um second chronicles, whereas in our Bible second chronicles and then Ezra follows that. We just need to recognize that. These books kind of go together. Second Chronicles ends with the Babylonian captivity now being at its end. Cyrus, king of Persia, has come to power, and he is releasing the Jews to go back, those that desire to, and build the temple of the Lord and rebuild their city of Jerusalem and all of that. Um, And so we have to realize that some of the people that were in the Babylonian captivity, especially the writing ones, the ones that wrote books, um, either from the captivity or during the time of the captivity, or particularly now after the captivity, are Ezra, Nehemiah <coughs> Ezra and Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, for sure. We also saw writings from some of the prophets Jeremiah wrote <coughs> excuse me. Jeremiah wrote some <coughs> in his prophetic book. Uh, During this time as well, he wrote Jeremiah 29, which contains 29.11 that we love. Um, That was written to the captives in Babylon. Ezekiel wrote his, his book, through the time period of the Babylonian captivity. Daniel was a part of the Babylonian captivity and his writings were during that time. Esther was also during that time. So there's several books that were written either during the time of the captivity, after Second Chronicles um, had, you know, and kings had sent them into captivity, and several that were a part of the coming back, where Second Chronicles ends, Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi are among those who were writing and speaking to us from after the the Babylonian captivity was over. So that's where we pick up in Ezra. And remember, Ezra's main focus is the restoration of worship. We saw that even as he wrote First and Second Chronicles for us. We saw his focus. He, he picked certain things in a sense, or the Holy Spirit did through him, to focus on the restoration of worship. And we're going to see that as we go through Ezra and Nehemiah particularly. But I want to start out just reading a few verses from the beginning of the book of Ezra, verse 1 through 3, I believe it is, or 4, excuse me. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Remember, Jeremiah had proclaimed it would be 70 years of captivity. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord of The Lord God of heaven has given me and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May his God be with him and let him go up. Now, that's where he ended in Second Chronicles. But here we read the rest of that that uh, proclamation. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. So God stirred up the spirit of many of the people there to actually go back. Some of them were old men. We'll see that, for instance, Mordecai was among those, um, and some of those were some of the older men that had seen the temple before, had had lived there before, before the Babylonian captivity, and now they're going back. And so God stirred up their spirits. And those that remained in the city, in the, um, in the captivity, in the area there, for instance, Daniel was one who did not go back. And we believe there's a specific reason why Daniel did not go back. Daniel was of the, the kingly line. He was one of the descendants of Hezekiah, um, most scholars believe. And he had been made an eunuch, which means he could not enter the temple of the Lord, the beloved temple that he loved so much, for the God of heaven that he loved so much and was faithful all the way through his Babylonian captivity. So I believe that that was the reason that he probably did not choose to go back among them because he loved Jerusalem and he loved the temple. So I believe his heart was there, but he knew that he could not not enter and participate like he truly wanted to when it was restored. And the journey may have been very difficult for him as well. I mean, you're talking about a thousand mile journey that they would have had to make and they didn't have airplanes and all that kind of stuff then. So, you know, it could have been a, a combination of a few factors that Daniel knew he couldn't go back for certain reasons, but many of them did. Well, the ones that didn't, the command here from Cyrus was for them to help. In other words, to give money, give possessions, give things that would support the work and, beloved, there are some that are called to go, and there are come some that are called to send those who go. Some cannot go for various reasons. And God does not um, debase that or belittle that. He simply says, if you can't go, send those who are going. Help support them. And so when there are ministries, various ministries, let God's heart stir you if you are to be a part of that and actually participate, amen, and if you are to be one of those who will support those who can participate. Amen. Both of that is covered here in chapter 1 of Ezra. Then then we see how even Cyrus brought out all the holy vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had taken. He, He restored them to the people. And God is a restorer. He gives us back. So God protected those articles and he gave them back to the people that they belonged to to go back into the temple where they belonged because they were holy unto the Lord. So then in chapter 2, Ezra gives us basically the rundown of all the various people and the total of the people that went in. And I just wanted to point out a couple of things here. First of all, in verse 2, we, we read some names that we will see in other places of Scripture, such as Zerubbabel, uh, Yeshua, or, or, uh, Joshua the high priest, Nehemiah. Um, and then we even see Mordecai here, that Mordecai was among those who came back even though he would have been an old man at this time. He'd have been one of those old men. We also see in verse 43, the Nethanim, and we don't know exactly who they were. The best research I found was that they were temple servants that had been given over to the Levites and the priests to help them in the service of the temple. Whether they were all Jewish or possibly some Gentiles involved in that, we do not know. But we do know in verse 59 through 63 that it speaks of some that came with them that they could not identify them through Jewish genealogies. So it's very likely that there were Gentiles involved here that came back, similarly to the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. Out of Egypt, coming out of Egypt, there may have been some Gentiles in there. And to me, these are beautiful little spots where we see the first hint of the the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is composed of Jewish and Gentile believers in Christ who are now made one in Christ Jesus. Then we go to um, chapter 3, and I want you to notice this. In chapter 3, verse 1, I'd like to just read that real quick because it talks about how Um, They came together. Let's read it first. And when the seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. And that just blesses my heart because it reminds me of Acts chapter 2, where the Bible talks about when the disciples were in that upper room, 120 of them, and they were together as one. They were in the unity of the Spirit. They they came together in one mind and in one accord. And, you know, we're all so different. And to get 120 people together as they as one person in one accord with the same mind and the same passion that's a that's a miraculous feat in itself. And so here in Ezra chapter 3 verse 1, we kind of see a similar hint of that day as well and how God caused all of these people that came together and there were they were numerous if you read through chapter 2 and you add it all up you'll see that there were a lot of people involved and they came together yet as one man in Jerusalem. And notice what was in their heart. The first thing they did, the first thing they cared about, the first order of business was to build God's altar, to restore worship, to restore the the honor of the Lord God in the land again. That's the first thing they did. And then the next thing was in verse 4 through uh, 6, I believe it is, or 7, they kept the tabernacles. Notice that this was the very same feast that in Solomon's day was the feast that they kept at the dedication of the first temple. It's just beautiful how you see these patterns. And so they restored the worship of God. They restored the tabernacles. Um, they restored the, uh, the, the festivals that the, the, uh, the um, temple hadn't yet been built, but we'll see the foundation in a moment. But they restored all the ordinances of God. They restored the worship of God. They restored the fact that he had given certain feasts to Israel new moons sabbaths and all of the festivals and they they went back to honoring god and to observing those as god had commanded in the book of the torah then in verse 10 through 11 Here, I want to point out a couple of things about this part of chapter 3. I want you to see something here, and I want to read it to you. It says in verse 10 and 11, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. This was the song, the lyrics to the song that they sang. Praise be to God. And I want you to notice a few things here. They were excited and praising God just at the fact that the foundation of the temple was being laid. Now, these were the people that some of them, some of them we learn later in that same chapter before the end of chapter three and in other places like in Haggai um, chapter two, verse three. That some of these were the people that the older people that had lived through the Babylonian captivity and they had seen and worshipped in Solomon's grand and glorious temple. And so now the foundation of the temple is being laid. And so they are praising God for what God did before, what he is doing and what he will still do, believing his word. They were praising him before they saw the work finished. They were praising him just at the onset of it. And that was an act of faith because they were believing the promise. Because God had promised them that they were going to rebuild. God had sent and stirred up Cyrus's heart for them to go and rebuild. And to to build the temple. And Cyrus even said, for he is God. Recognizing God's honor and God's reverence. And I believe that a part of that was because of people like Daniel and others that had served in the name of the Lord God to the kings and the high leaders and officials during their captivity, such as Daniel. But yet these people are praising God before they ever see the finished work. They are praising him in belief that God will do it. And that's a beautiful thing that we need to remember sometimes. Sometimes we just need to praise God for the answers that will come before we see them come to fruition. So just at the foundation of the temple that was laid, at its earliest beginning stage, they were praising God and they were declaring, He is good, His mercy endures forever toward Israel. And that's that same mercy that was available and delivered um, Lot out of Sodom, even though Lot got Lot into Sodom, God in His mercy got Lot out of Sodom. So it's a beautiful thing to see that here. We see that uh, many of these were inside the, uh, many of these were inside that Babylonian captivity, and some of them came out. And the Bible tells us in the rest of that chapter three that many of those that had seen the temple before were crying and weeping. Why? Because they were comparing it with natural eyes. They were looking at it through their natural eyes and they were saying, man, when Solomon built it, I remember it. It was grand. It was glorious. It was filled with with gold and and." Items throughout and silver and all of those things, they were a part of that. And it was beautiful. It was spectacular. And now they're looking at dirt and they're looking at debris all around. And they're looking at the beginning of the foundation being laid. And they're they are remembering with natural eyes how beautiful and glorious it was before. And they're comparing it that way. And so they're sorrowful in that sense. Beloved, we need to see it through eyes of faith, not natural eyes. Because even in Haggai, Haggai uh, confronts them about this. And he says, some of you that are older, you saw the first temple. And so what do you think about this now? You think it's nothing in comparison? But later on in the book of Haggai, we find out that it says, oh, the glory of this latter house is going to be far greater. Not in terms of gold and silver things in the natural, but because, guess what? The Son of God himself the very living ark, the very living presence of God was going to come to this tabernacle. He was going to come to this temple, this temple that Zerubbabel was building. Herod would later embellish it, but it was Zerubbabel's temple. And he would be coming into that temple literally in the flesh when he came his first coming. He's going to be going to his own temple in his millennial reign as well. But in the days of his first coming, he went to Zerubbabel's temple. The glory of God presiding in him, walking into his temple that Zerubbabel had built. And in his first coming, he went in there. We know that he went in there many times. He went in there and he cleansed it at least twice. He We went in, he uh, went in there, and he taught in it. remember Solomon's porch. he would teach inside the the courts of the temple area, and also later on, before he died, he would go there to be condemned. It was there that the Jewish leaders brought him before Pilate in the in the uh, Antonio fortress and in the praetorium there by the temple, and they condemned him to death on the same temple grounds. That the first temple had stood and now the glory of God is going to be condemned to die on your behalf and on my behalf because he loved us so much and he loved his people so much he was willing to give his life to save them. And it was in this temple, this temple that Zerubbabel was building, that the greater glory of the living presence of God was coming. And these people that were looking in natural eyes needed to be able to see the things of the Spirit and to see with spiritual eyes. What a beloved... Uh, word of God this is to us. What a beloved God he is to us. His scriptures are so full of revelation for us. And I pray that this message has been a blessing to you today and that God will richly pour out his blessings. As you read his word, he will strengthen you. He will encourage you. He will bless you in every good thing. And so I trust you. I trust God that he will do that for you. For he is good and his mercy endures forever toward all of his people. Not just Israel, but all of the people that form his church in this day as well. And so God bless you today. I hope you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you today.